and, and massive wars and world wars, and they run by deception. The world is run by deception. Uh, these characters work really for corporations, and your country is a corporation. Your country is registered as a corporation. Now, the whole world is, is registered as one big corporation under the United Nations, and they've been giving us our marching orders for a long time, but the United Nations only works, again, for these big, big royal bankers, we call them. But back with more after the following messages.
But in the 90s, they knew it was coming. And when she asked one of the heads of this why they'd accept it, the public would accept this, this sort of IDing, uh, the man said quite matter-of-factly, because they'd be given no option. And, and that's what it is, you see. This is a mandate, it must be. And, and here's a, a little article from, it's called AIM Global. It's a big corporation that deals with RFID. And uh, they'll be heavily backed, I'm sure. And even their logo, if you look at the logo, it's got three pyramids, really. It's all three pyramids, the Ryan's Belt stuff again. In the middle is an obelisk, that's the I for the AIM. And you have the sun above it. But it's really a disguised Saturn because it's got the loop there, the, the, the scythe loop, which is Kronos Saturn, the order of misrule. And they love these little logos. They're all over the place. And this is from November the 13th, 2007. And it was sent to me by Mark Bard of Paranormal.com. And it says here, uh, it says here, if I can bring this up, I'm doing all this talking. The leading international industry association unveils RFID outreach initiative to educate educate about consumer benefits and RFID technologies applications. And listen to the terminology they use here. This is an in-house type thing with, with the term, terminology they use to make us all chomp away at the cud and not look up from the grass and think everything's just wonderful. Warndale, Pennsylvania, November 13th, recognizing the need in the marketplace to dramatically increase positive public perception. So there you are. You're, everything's done by the way you perceive things, and they want you to perceive things in a certain way, the way that they're going to sell it to you. That's what they want. And they distort perceptions. Increase positive public perception of radio frequency identification technologies. In global the Worldwide Industry Association and Advocate. Advocate, so they're an advocate. This is their business that they want to make mandatory, right? For supporting innovation and growth in automatic identification and mobility technologies, today announced has launched an aggressive and proactive, they love this word proactive, it's all the word today, RFID outreach initiative in the United States to educate the general public. They're going to brainwash the public. That's what educate the public means. They call it raising public, public consciousness or awareness. That means you're going to get a thought implanted in your head that they've arranged for you to perceive in a certain way. It's all like a packaged thought. So, uh, and policy makers about the myriad consumer benefits that RFID technologies will bring to the public. The campaign will also provide relevant, timely examples of consumer-oriented RFID applications, dispel myths, promoting public concern, in other words, eradicate the truth, you see, about the technology, and correct inaccuracies, in other words, they're going to lie. And uh, it says here, and misperceptions about the usage of RFID in society today. They're going to completely turn it upside down and make you think it's just wonderful. The outreach initiative already underway carries the overarching theme of RFID, making the world a better place, making it a better place. Better is a good word, a positive word, comfy word, so we like this terminology. And focuses on the convenience. Convenience is good too. Safety, that's good. And security, oh, that's all the rage, that RFID brings to consumers' daily lives. AIM Global executives are overseeing the orchestration, orchestras are nice, music's nice, of the campaign. Campaign is a war, should rethink that word, with execution, that's bad too, handed, handled by Albison Group, in 
specialising in the technology and telecommunications sectors. The RFID Outreach Initiative includes the involvement of members of the organisation's education and public policy committee. So the guys who work for the advertising campaign and their policy is going to push this and uh, silver will cross palms. Many palms will have their palms crossed with silver handshakes, uh, including guys in government if it's not already done, because this is a must-be operation. So as we become to love the RFID and you won't want to leave home without it. The important program, which entails extensive media relations, you buy off the media, you see, outreach and contributed article on op-ed placements. That means we're going to put big things in newspapers that there will really be ads for it or stories about how wonderful it is. That's what that means, is to make it sound like it's wonderful, but it's really big ads to brainwash you. Spotlights a wide range of RFID applications, consumer benefits, and ongoing industry activities for self-regulation. AIM Global intends to showcase the viability and versatility of RFID technologies in familiar environments and illustrate how RFID is already improving consumer quality of life through such innovations as the automatic payment of toll road fees. In other words, when you're getting shafted, you don't feel it so painfully. It's automatic. And public transit fares. The authentication of prescription medications. Oh, food safety. Oh, that we care about food since they've altered it all for us. And homeland security enhancements. Enhancements. Homeland security is an enhancement. And that sounds wonderful. Home and enhancements all in the same little phrase there. This is, this is how you do psycholinguistics. It's all in the way it's worded. And most people read this stuff. And it sounds like wonderful. It's like a little novel reading. And how these altruistic business people, the top business people, right, are going to make their lives better because they care about them and they think they think about them all the time. And that's just what this is about: it's psycholinguistics, the quick checkout of library materials, no one goes there anymore, and the tracking of the locations and progress of participants in marathons and other races. We really care about that, don't we? AIM Global has an important role as an industry educator. Do you realize that industry is all there to educate us and to educate all the other industries too? And advocate and serves a strong, positive and proactive, proactive again, voice on specific challenges confronting its diverse international membership, said Dan Mullen, president of AIM Global. From its inception, AIM Global has been committed to worldwide leadership. Oh, my goodness, I wish they'd get something new. These terms are becoming antiquated with overuse within the RFID industry by providing factual online and offline materials and by delivering unbiased knowledge and understanding for all things RFID. This awareness initiative is simply a logical extension of that role and commitment. Now, this is one of the big big companies, including the PR companies. This has a lot of PR in its public relations in its, its write-up here. They always bring out the big ones at the top of the pyramid to oversee all the lesser companies, and this one is really giving the other ones their orders. Because the world they're bringing in has been shown to us in probably about a thousand sci- science fiction movies to do with how we're all going to get chipped and watched and, and followed and tracked, and they'll know where we are at all times. And it's all for the general good, the good of all, you see. But the ones at the top won't have this kind of surveillance. It's for you lot down there, because the world that they're bringing into view is going to be a radically different world than the one you know now. Not that the one we know now is that great.
because it's, it's completely dysfunctional. It's, it's getting to the end of its stage or its age. It's been made to be dysfunctional with, with, with the massive indoctrinations we've had, with the massive changes going on so rapidly, and with the, uh, the big changes to do with, with even money itself. What on earth is money today? It's a bunch of numbers in someone's computer, numbers that you have no say over as to the value of. And we'll be back with more after these messages. Security 
and where the world is going in this big, wonderful, we are all one business, this big world prison camp where we're going to be followed, tracked, traced, and eventually we won't be, be, get to be born unless they have a function for us in the big world corporation. Uh, they can make it sound so wonderful. And there's lots of advocates from the general public, too, who swallowed the propaganda their whole lives and actually volunteered to work for them towards this wonderful global world where we're supposed to sit under palm trees and, and discuss philosophy and read poetry. That's what they think. But that's not really what it's all about. It's a, a controlled world where everything and everyone must have a function. Everyone must have a function. I can remember when all the propaganda was going on about uh, Free Willy. They made a, a, a movie about Free Willy the Whale, you see. And, and uh, everyone's chatting about it, as they always do. It's marketed in the heads of people. And they chat about it, like Brzezinski said. Whoever's popular in, in the media, it's what they chat about. That becomes their topics of conversation. And, and I was in Toronto at the time. And a little blonde girl came to the door with a tin can for Greenpeace. And big blue eyes and everything. And innocently asked for donating money to, 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 free, to help the whales, save the whales. And I looked at her and I said, should I burst this little girl's bubble or, or just throw a few coppers in there and, and let her go in her happy, oblivious way? But I did the latter. There was no point in shattering her, her ideal. She had no idea of the corruption in this world, including the corruption of Greenpeace, and who even set it up. Again, the big agencies at the top set up Greenpeace. They set up all these big foundations and organizations that eventually demand certain laws get passed, which just happens to coincide with what the governments want. That's, that's what happens. So anyway, I'll let her go in her own sweet way, dreaming about freeing Willie. And that's the kind of world we live in. It's a world where ideas, with the use of terminology and massive indoctrination through our schooling and through media, carried on by media, they call it continuing education, that's what they mean by the media, the television set and so on, that's your real continuing education and, then, and most folk go to their deaths, never ever knowing they've been conned their whole lives long now I think we have a Tim in California here, are you there Tim? Yeah I'm here, Alan? Yes Yes, I called you a few months ago, I was talking about how I was being harassed um, with small planes and large jet aircraft and things like this Mm-hmm. And you said that the reason why it would probably happen was because when I was younger, all the psychological tests you take in elementary school and so on, they use that kind of as a guide to see who's average. So I got to thinking about it, and I started realizing now, even when I was at that young age, for some reason I realized those tests were not just, you know, to be used to kind of, you know, for them, for their purposes. So I think what I did was kind of, in my own head, try and score as average as possible, which is what you were saying. They look for the most average because an average person will be tested, you know, and... Uh, yeah, the, the hold on, hold on, and we'll talk about this when okay. we come back from these, this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
metrics. And we're talking to Tim from California that had some kind of harassment going on. Are you still here, Tim? Yeah, I'm here. And what, uh, what, you'll like find, was... what you'll find is, is that uh, experiments have been going on for over 100 years and, and, and longer by picking individuals who never know it's even happening to them and using technologies on them. You know, Alexander Graham Bell was, was trying voice to skull back in his day technologies. And he didn't start it because his, his father before him started up the same organization for the deaf and so on. And he wanted to find a way to electronically uh, produce voice-to-skull technology. And this is where, where all this stuff came from. It was with these big experimenters and the big military boys, as always, catch on to it and, and think of it as a weapon. But the best way is to test these things out is to use it on people who have no idea what's happening to them. And I often wonder how many people down through the ages have ended up in mental asylums because they've been hearing voices. And this is out in the open now. This is old technology, very old technology. But they also put people in certain situations, and then with hidden cameras and so on, uh, they observe their actions and how they, how they work. Psychology classes will show you a lot of these experiments on classrooms, school classrooms. There were fantastic uh, ways to, a special little laboratory where they had no idea they were being watched and observed but their every movements as certain situations were introduced into classrooms. And, and then uh, even waiting rooms and doctors' places and so on. This is old stuff. It's been done on a massive scale to watch ordinary people's reactions in specific uh, circumstances. And it's used now on a mass scale on the public. And uh, I know of a group in the U.S., and it's primarily women, uh, who lived around naval bases, and they were getting voice to skull and various things happening to them. And it turns out that the harp technologies, the frequencies that they were using back in those days, worked mainly on young children and women. So it all, it all ties together eventually when you, you get the evidence gradually leaking out as it becomes almost obsolete and the governments are, are, whenever they release something, that means they're, they're way beyond that now onto something even bigger. And they won't tell you about that for the, for the until 20 years or so has passed, Yes, what they're um, doing today. Uh, what I wanted to say was, um, I remember all the psychological tests I would take in elementary school, like, do you like to work with other people? Would you like to be a leader of the group? So on and so forth. And when I think back about it, it took me a while, but I started realizing that I don't know whether it was I was whether it was my willingness to conform or I realized that these tests weren't just you know for the school. I think I kind of in my own way wanted to just be as average as possible. Yeah. And and as a result, uh, I inadvertently kind of set myself up to be a guinea pig, like you said before, for these types of tests. Yeah. Now my question is, if I don't represent the average person because I lied on all these psychological tests. Why would they continue on since at least the age because of 12? Because they'd follow you in other areas of your life, and, and they'll know you better than you know yourself. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now you, my other... you, you can't fool them. You can't fool these characters because they, they don't take one simple sample. Yeah. They follow you down through your life. Uh, yeah. Okay. You always talk about predictability and how they want everything to be predictable because that makes them feel comfortable, and we're like computers, and basically if you can control the input, then you can also understand what the output's going to be. That's right. Uh, That's this right. is no more evident than my, in my own life here when uh, I'm, I, like most people, have you know a schedule and I, I do things in a certain way. Like, let's say, for example, 
normally I wake up and I have uh, breakfast first and I take a shower. Now, let's say I, I take a shower first and then I have breakfast, yeah. I get uh, more harassment, uh, lower, fly, lower flying planes, jets, different types of things. Just because I change one little thing in, in my daily activities is such as that, I mean, it could be something even smaller, such as maybe I wake up and I hear some music and I dance a little bit uh-huh. in my house, and I, I can actually sense the, the different types of uh, harassment going on uh, just because... I'm changing my routine, and uh, uh, pretty recently, uh, I live kind of in a, in a mountain community here, and I, I like to climb the trees and stuff so I can go up and see a better view because my view is pretty obstructed, so I was climbing the trees, and sure enough, I, I see uh, uh, part of uh, the operation here. What I what I saw was a, a massive white uh, jet-type aircraft painted all white, no windows, and trailing sl- slowly behind it, no more than 100 yards, was a little single-engine type Cessna-type aircraft. Mm-hmm. If there was any question in my mind that all these things are working together, it's it sure been answered because I used to think that um, before uh, that it was just a little single-engine type and double-engine type planes, and now I see all these things working together. Mm-hmm. I mean, and if you understand anything about how these guys are supposed to build a fly, they're not allowed to fly that close, so you understand that it's some type of military operation. And most recently I've been seeing Chinook-type aircraft flying over my house uh, pretty low, and when I go different places, I see these same Chinook type uh, aircraft uh, circling over me. So it's it's a whole <laughs> it's a whole military thing. I know it's it's uh, going and, and you're, on. You're probably living too in, in a pretty uh, there be something in your area that's of high security as well. Could be. It won't be on the surface either. Right. On Area 51, I mean, I remember Cooper did uh, videos down there to show you these military crafts coming out of a military installation that look like flying saucers. They're built, they're built here, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, not not by guys from Mars. They're built here. For sure. And uh, you saw a helicopter. It literally disappeared into a mountain. I mean, the, the part of the mountain uh, was a hangar. <laughs> so if, if I'm seeing these uh, white massive jet aircraft, what am I to assume uh, they are from? Uh, who, who uses all painted white jet aircraft with no windows, and they're flying around sometimes no more than, no more than six, 600 feet to 1,000 feet off the ground over my house. Yeah, well, I know that the guys are doing the main spraying uh, fly these massive planes too. Right. Uh, one came across my house very low. I, I don't know. I was after I talked about it on the radio for, for the first time, and it was only about a couple of hundred feet up, and then it let loose with the spray right over my house and right across my house. And so I ran inside pretty quick, didn't want to breathe that stuff in. You think it's better to be inside sometimes when they're doing this heavy spraying like that? Uh, if you've got everything closed, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely with the windows shut and everything. Yep. All right. Um, let me see here. I yeah, thanks, thanks for calling in, though, and, and I'll have to go on with the next the next. Can I ask one more question, Alan? Very quick. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to know what uh, um, someone like Bob Marley, what his um, influence was, on um and how did he you know uh what what his effect was on the whole culture creation industry and what what was his purpose here well marley was a bit of a, um, a a loner really in a sense uh he he was dejected well he was rejected by his own community and rejected by his father as well his father was a british officer in the military and marley when he became a bit more popular he got money up to travel over to england and he eventually found his dad who was married by then, and uh, knocked on the house, and he, his dad, in astonishment, you know, uh, when he told him who he was, just didn't want to know him. So he was uh, he was very depressed and all the rest of it, but 
you saw that his life was was in his music basically. It was a form of uh, it was a happy go well happy go lucky and kind of bluesy downish kind of, kind of music at the same time. You know. Yes. So that right. was where he was. He was between two cultures and and not really a full member of either. You think he realized that his what his like what his job was kind of like I mean to kind of get people you know smoking marijuana and oh yeah and oh yeah he, he mind knew control that. and stuff and yeah, he knew he what he was that. doing. You think? Yeah, you'll find all that the best uh, marijuana and cannabis is all, was all altered back in the the fifties and sixties by the military establishment. Uh, they, they, they hybrid the stuff then and, and uh, made it very very potent. Yeah. Right. Then right. they gave it out to the public. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, everything has a purpose and everything's been done by the same characters at the top. Same with LSD. They were experimenting with that uh, in the 1950s. And Rothschild, Victor Rothschild, was head of the the laboratories at the time, Port and Downs establishment, military establishment, and he was testing this stuff out on agents of MI5 and 6. So, and that's in Peter Rice's book. He was a member of MI6, a real one because he was put into court for talking about it by Margaret Thatcher. And that's what he said. Victor Rothschild was the guy who was using this stuff before they gave it to the public to see the effects on the young, coupling it with what they called the, the, the pop industry. Pop for father, the father. The rock came later. The rock is the foundation, the foundation of uh, the high brotherhood masonry. Then you got heavy metal following because as injected you with all inoculations, they gave you mercury, who was, who was a messenger, Mer- that brings you the message, you get the message. That's your heavy metal. And then the IQs all dropped. And it's got worse since then. Everything has a, another purpose, and it's always done in a mocking form because they love to mock the victim. That's how it works. But talking about the spraying that's been going on, and I've been talking to so many people over the years, and I get a good sense daily of what's happening to them psychologically and you find so many callers are tired very tired when they're getting heavily sprayed from all over the US and Canada other days they're, they're rather calm laid back and almost tranquilized and here's a piece here that was sent to me by Robbie in Scotland and it's from the Defence Technology International November 2007 issue and it says, researchers say drugs could sap an enemy's will to fight. Interesting little blurb this. And it's about 90 minutes drive from the medieval spires of Prague. Doctors and 20 macaque rhesus monkeys are hard at work at seemingly the most exhaustive study into the weaponization of the rave drug ketamine. While Russian, Chinese, and American scientists may have similar lines of study, may have, they've done it years ago, the checks are brazen enough to go on scientific record. Aggressiveness and violence are spreading throughout the world. This is comparable to the epidemics of infectious diseases in the Middle Ages. So they're, they're equating aggressions now with a disease. That's, that's the one point, again, psycholinguistics. It says, Vladislav Hess, a scientist at the Institute of Experimental Medicine in Prague, Hess with researchers Jitka Schreiberova, Yuri Malik, and Martin Votova, and Joseph Fuzek is looking for a medical solution, pharmacological modulation of emotions. Pharmacological modulation of emotions has been used for decades. There it is right there, okay? 
And then they're going about the different types they've used in the past with the, with the Valium groups and so on. Remember the aerosolized Valium that was mentioned uh, by one of their, our top guys after the 9-11 incident? They said they could spray over large cities. And it says, ways for pharmacological suppression of aggressors, threatening victims are sought. The drugs used for these purposes are called calmatives. They're calling it calmatives now. It sounds very nice. It's a drug and dope you. Calmatives. Producing calm, non-violent behavior. So it goes through the, what these guys are doing and all the drugs are using. But later on, it goes on to say in the same article that... Um, uh, they're calling it, also calling it anti-calmative and anti-bellicosity agents. Anti-bellicosity agents uh, that they're admitting later in the paper. This is old stuff, and that the West is way ahead of them. The first I heard about anti-bellicosity agents was in the late 1950s, half a century ago. Says Julian Perry Robinson, a former chemist and expert at chemical weapons law at the University of Sussex. Do you know there's a chemical weapons law organisation? Did they ask the public? No. <laughs> Science and technology policy research wing of ligands, which can interfere with receptors, how these receptors affect behavior. A vast amount of knowledge is popping up. No kidding. Use of such agents in combat is generally prohibited, but riot control agents like tear gas, for example, are permitted during war and police actions. What constitutes a police action or a chemical weapon is becoming fuzzy. Hmm, really? That's because they're spraying us. They can't see, but all the spray is getting fuzzy. Robinson and others think the Chemical Weapons Convention needs to be clear about banning behavioral agents and monitoring compliance. He's drafting such a proposal. The CWC, which includes the U.S., has its 10-year anniversary review conference next spring. And we skip over all the other stuff that they, that they talk about. They've admitted they've gotten all the, the compounds of drugs they have all ready to go. I'm sure they're using it. It says, what the Pentagon has at its disposal is extensive archives as well as robust research into airburst munitions, airburst munitions and other delivery systems. That's the air, folks. General Dynamics has even worked on a 155mm non-lethal artillery projectile. When anything comes along, its ride will be waiting. And further down it says, revolutionary advances in psycho psychopharmacology and neurology promise wonders in treating mental ailments and nervous disorders, says Steve Wright, an ethics lecturer at the University UK. He's just worried about the dark side that goes behind artificially changing human behavior matter as much as the ability to do it. Very good article. It, it, it's hiding a lot, exposing a little, and that's how it's leaked out to you under the guise that they're, they're just getting into it at the very beginning of the story, and then there's admissions throughout the story they have been doing this for about 50 years, and they're way ahead of anything we're told. So that's November 2007, Defence Technology International. Look it up for yourselves and have a read with it. It's quite, quite interesting. Now, we, we live in an age where so much is happening, and this is all the rage at the top. The end thing amongst government and all their, all their workers and employees is that the public are getting so aggressive. Well, who gave us the culture? Remember Bertrand Russell, he said that, that the state will eventually give the children their culture and their morals, whatever morals they decide to give them. And more, morality could be anything they decide, you see. That's what more morality is. It's a set of values you're given for your generation. 
And up can be down, down can be up. They can be completely reversed in one generation, like Plato said, and the people don't even notice it. They just adopt and adapt to it quite easily. So Bertrand Russell said the state will give them their values, and that's happened. He said if we can get them into kindergarten and four hours of indoctrination scientifically done, like you're training an animal, then, then whatever values that the parents try to instill when the child goes back home will just wash off the child, and that's happened. A whole generation's grown up like this, that the state has given them their values of moral relativity. The state gave them the, the, the martial arts programs and, and, and series that they watch, and, and they, they, they used to run kicking each other in the playgrounds after watching this stuff. They gave them the video games that were designed for the military. And the big boys at the top running the Pentagon and so on are still involved in the making of these games for children because they want a race of warriors for a temporary period only. That they must use on their own people. And we've all lived through this. And so at the top, they're all worried about the aggressive culture they've created, this tremendously aggressive culture, the dog-eat-dog culture. The ones who go to see the wrestling and say, tear them apart, tear them apart, kill them, kill them. And they carried away. And I'll see what the antidote to this is after the following messages. through the Matrix, and I've just got time for, for Jamie from Kentucky. Are you there, Jamie? Oh, he's dropped off. Okay. Well, the, the antidote, as I was saying, uh, to the aggressive culture that they've created deliberately for a particular period, they wanted a generation of soldiers to finish off and standardize the rest of the world, but then they're left with a problem of an aggressive culture. So what do you do? Well, you tranquilize them all. Tranquilize them all. Then you ID them all. And they won't mind so much if they're tranquilized and they're being looked after by Big Brother. And uh, they'll float through life and, and not complain or object. And they'll pay up their, their death duties so that they can get buried and, and there won't be a burden on society. That's the perfect slave, you see. As Charles Galton Darwin said, he said, there's always been slavery. Always been. And he was telling the truth. It's all, it's all in perception. He says, but there's always been slavery in one form or another. And we're just creating a new, more sophisticated form of it. Well, it's happened. It's actually happened. And they're just at the, that last road, really, of, of perfecting it, perfecting it, so that the slaves don't revolt. The slaves don't mind. Most slaves today don't mind the predicaments they happen to be in because they have bread in circuses like Juvenal talked about. We've, got, we've never had so many circuses uh, given to us on such a basis as, as now the television brings you all entertainment you want, all kinds of crazy entertainment. Most of it has, is simply downloading you with new, new ideas, is programming you. But you've got to enjoy your programming, and most folk do. They don't realize they're being given little downloads along with even their comedy shows or their dramas or their soaps or whatever. And the guys act like buffoons as they watch the sports and guzzle their beer and pretend that they're all macho 
and have some road rage it's the only place they have any power they have no power at home or in their workplaces so they, 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 they vote for their or they, they support their local team their tribe who either wins or loses on a battlefield and they sit back and pretend they're with them it's all a, a world of pretense of perception and distortion but with a complete understanding of human nature both male and female and children all, all ages right down to the time they're born they, they market ideas to every age group and that's why marketing is in bed with management of the populations this this governance as they call it today governance most people think of government and have never looked at the definitions and have never looked at the histories of government down through the ages they think it's something there to help them and take care of them and look after them that's the way it's promoted and marketed to you. But government has never, ever been in that business of being there to help you. Government is there to ensure its own survival of a system on behalf of those that own your government. That's what it's there for, to protect the elite, always in all ages. And that's the way it will be until the sun doesn't rise anymore, the way it's going. And millions and billions of people in generation after generation have lived, fought wars and all the rest of it, and died, never knowing they were conned their whole lives long. Well, from Hamish and myself, from Ontario, Canada, with the southerly wind blowing, pretty cold right now, it's good night to me, your God or your gods, go with you. <laughs> 